Welcome to Sex Care Self Care, a conversation on women's sexual health brought to you by the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health. I'm your host, Patty Brisbane. If you are one of the many women struggling with infertility, today's show is for you. Dr. Michael Thomas joins me to discuss fertility and sexuality. Before you even introduce yourself and tell this audience what you exactly do, I am so honored that you are here today. And I'm gonna tell you what, the, the Patty Brisbane Foundation would be nowhere. You were one of those amazing people who have always stepped up in my life and have helped me and and helped the foundation. And I'm just so honored for you to be here this morning and to share all your knowledge with the audience out here that's gonna be listening. Well, thank you very much. I, I am just honored to be your friend. And as, as I've always said, I'm always there for you whenever you need me. I, I appreciate that, thank you. Do you wanna tell them exactly what you do? Yes, my name is Michael Thomas. I am a uh, reproductive endocrinologist, which is a fancy way of saying fertility doctor. And I am the chair, the head of the OBGYN department at the University of Cincinnati. Cincinnati, there yep. you go. Um, Dr. Thomas, so how, how common is fertility problems? Well, uh, if you look at fertility problems in heterosexual couples, which generally is are couples between uh, reproductive age couples between 18 and uh, 40, 42. Uh, we quote about a 20% uh, rate of fertility problems. But when we look at our same-sex couples and single people who are just want to have be parents uh, without a partner, uh, it's 100%. Uh, so those people need our help 100% of the time. Well, let me ask you this. Does general health play a role in fertility? Yeah, general health does. I mean, the more uh, healthy, the healthier you are, the more likely you are to get pregnant. So if you have regular cycles, uh, which aren't complicated or caused by a medical problem, or uh, if you uh, don't have things like diabetes, hypertension, uh, you have a higher chance of getting pregnant if you don't have any of those. But if you have complicating or confounding medical problems, then yes, your chances of getting pregnant do decrease and obesity decreases your chance of getting pregnant. So if your BMI, body mass index, is above 30, the chances of getting pregnant, the higher your BMI is, the lower your chances of getting pregnant are. This all makes sense. Um, how long should a couple who's trying to get pregnant wait before they even seek help? Well, uh, same-sex couples and single uh, people who don't have a partner need to come in to see us right away. Right. Uh, but people who have regular cycles are under the age of 35, we define infertility as one year. Uh, if you're over 35, six months if you've been trying to get pregnant. But if any, if the female partner has irregular cycles or if there's a known male factor issue, then go and see the fertility doctor right away. What about women with chronic health conditions? Should they seek a fertility specialist before even trying to get pregnant? Yes, I think that making sure that you see someone, and, and that's a, a very good question because if you have a chronic health problem, seeing a fertility doctor ahead of time who may work in conjunction with a high-risk OB doctor because at some point the fertility doctor has to hand you off to someone and it may not necessarily be your uh, regular gynecologist right away depending on the extent of the problem. 
Uh, so seeking the, the advice of a fertility doctor and possibly seeking the, the advice of a high-risk pregnancy doctor before you get pregnant is going to be very, very important to make sure that you have a healthy pregnancy. That's, that's wonderful information for yeah, those who are listening out there that don't have this information. Correct. Um, so thank you. Thank you. What, what about the same-sex couples? Mm-hmm. What are their unique and distinct challenges? Well, I mean, it, it, it's in, in a same-sex couple, uh, there are definitely unique challenges. Obviously, finding sperm, finding a, a, a sperm donor, and there are ways of finding different types of sperm donors. And the, uh, in my now 30-plus years, I hate to say that, 30-plus years of doing this because the, 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 the uh, business has changed in so many ways, uh, you know, either finding, uh, there are multiple, there are about 100 sperm banks across the United States. So finding the right sperm bank uh, is important. So talking to your fertility doctor about which ones are the better ones, which ones have, uh, you know, the better sperm, because some sperm banks have uh, clearance sperm. You generally don't want the clearance sperm. Some sperm bank have, <laughs> they have. No, you don't want the clearance sperm. <laughs> That's not, we advise against the clearance sperm. Some sperm banks have this higher level sperm where they have medical students or law students or there was one sperm bank that actually had Nobel laureates uh, uh, sperm bank. There was a, a sperm bank where these old 70, 80 year old guys collected their sperm and they were selling the sperm of people who had had a Nobel prize. Unfortunately, they closed that sperm bank and a lot of it had to do with the fact that there was a story on, I think it was CBS this morning one time, they had these kids in the background from this Nobel laureate sperm bank and they were building cars and building things and the moms were saying, I had no idea that this was going to happen with these kids and they, they couldn't find schools for them because they were, they, they were uh, kids that, 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 that just couldn't really fit into society as well as others. So you want regular people, regular sperm, and uh, you want to get people. <laughs> I would agree with that. You want to I get, would definitely. So, there, so you don't want to stay away from the Clarence sperm. You want to stay away from the Nobel laureate sperm. You just want to find a, a, a just a very good middle. So let's say a patient comes in. Do you help those patients seek the right place to have the donation from yes okay. we, we we use about uh we use four sperm banks that we've used now over the last uh 20 years and and those sperm banks we know are good we know the pregnancy rates are high because become a sperm donor most people don't know that you they they you come in they they look at the sperm it has to be normal as far as movement and shape and uh the count and then they freeze it and and unfreeze it and and during this time the sperm donor has to be checked for HIV, hepatitis, all those things. They freeze the sperm and check them again six months later to make sure before the sperm is released that there are no new diseases that have come up. So, so there's a lot of things that go into. So only about 10 to 20% of sperm is released of the people who want to be sperm donors. So there, it's a very high bar in the right sperm bank. So that's why you want to make sure you don't want to fly by night sperm bank and a mobile vehicle you want to make sure you get the the sperm from a high rep high class reputable place no dollar store no store no sperm. dollar store sperm, sperm. Got nothing it. against the dollar store in general but we want the highest quality sperm you can get okay so i working with as many women as i work with and even here in this office so many women go to school you know they get their diploma they graduate they find a a, an amazing opportunity 
um, to go work. And then all of a sudden they look up and they're at the end of their 30s, their 40s. And what kind of advice do you have for women who have postponed pregnancy because they yeah. haven't found the right person yeah. or the right, you know, they, yeah. they've been so involved in their career. Yeah, and we, I, you know, I have this conversation all the time with our medical students. I, I give a talk to the first year medical students once a year on fertility issues. And sometimes I bring up the fact that, you know, in, a, in, a, in people who are either career oriented or people who just feel it's always going to be there. And I try to encourage general OBGYNs too, to have this discussion with their patients. My wife is a general OBGYN and she is starting to do that, which is to think about egg freezing in your 20s or, uh, or your early 30s versus your late 30s or 40s. Mm-hmm. Your chances of getting pregnant with a, a version of you at a younger age, it's still you. I'd rather have a version of me at 25 than a version of me at 40 if I'm trying to to seek uh, fertility at that time. So I I would tell you that we also encourage the possibility of not only freezing eggs, but uh, for those people who may not have a partner, maybe do, call it half and half, do half eggs, half embryos with donor sperm, because embryos are easier to thaw than just eggs alone. Uh, So trying to get as many eggs as possible and maybe use some with donor sperm just in case you don't find that Mr. Wright or Ms. Wright uh, 10 years uh, uh, from now or uh, just having the ability to use that person's sperm later but maybe even just having embryos just in case uh, would be my suggestion for people who are thinking forward in a forward way and trying to look at their fertility 10, 15 years from now. You know, I, I love Megan, your wife, and uh-huh. you know, she's always very clear and she's delivered, by the way, you know this, yes. several of my grandchildren. Yes, yes, yes. And so I think she's amazing. Well, we feel she, part of your family. Yeah, you are. <laughs> but so Megan is married to you and she hears this. Mm-hmm. How many other um OBGYNs out there are having this conversation? Not, not enough. I, I don't think, you know, you see it more so probably in the East Coast, West Coast, and things sometimes drift to the Midwest. But sometimes people sort of, uh, you know, they, they when I've talked to the, the medical students, they think that we are trying to drum up business. And all we're trying to do is just give advice. We, we just want people, because the, the reality is you are going to regret not thinking about egg freezing or embryo freezing 10, 15 years when you're in your 40s or in your mid 40s, when you are finally decide that you want to try. And, and a lot of people don't ever use those eggs or embryos. Uh, and that's okay because they may not have an issue with getting pregnant, but it's better to have it than to not have yeah. it. You know, I should not share this, but I am going to because I think she would be fine with it. There are many, uh, my granddaughter has even been told that she needs to go ahead and have this done mm-hmm. uh, because of endometriosis. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that these physicians are sharing this with more women because she doesn't want, she's in college freshman right. year. And so down the road, when she does want to conceive, it'll be there for her. Yeah. So. I think that, that there are other groups, you know, when we talk about egg freezing, we do it in people who are about to undergo chemotherapy. One of the things we, we have done in, at Children's Hospital and some of our 
oncology groups when they give a young person, a young woman, a, or young man a diagnosis of uh, cancer, they need to start them on chemotherapy or radiation, they will generally send them to us right away yeah. because we are the place to go to in case they, be, so that they may have something on the other side of that because most young people survive these cancers, but they want to have an ability to get pregnant later. Or if a person is transitioning and they may want to freeze their eggs or sperm, whether they're gonna be a transgender male or transgender female, and they may use those eggs and sperm with their future partner one day to have a genetic stake in, in that pregnancy before they would get any type of sex-confirming surgery. So we see a lot of those patients. Yeah. So that's a, you know, that's a part of what we do that most people don't even know, but the oncofertility part and the folks who are transitioning is a very important part of what we do, and we're very happy uh, to help with that and very happy to help with people when they get on the other side of whatever it is they are dealing with at that moment. It, you know, I'm sure for parents who get that diagnosis, you know, about yes. their child, yeah. it's really hard to think outside of yeah. that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's amazing that there are doctors that come forward and say, here's the things we need to think about exactly. down the road. Right. So yeah. I'm sure that many of them are so grateful or they will be right. later. That, there will be later. That, that yep. conversation happens. Exactly. Um, so for some people, it's all about timing when you're trying to conceive. Is that really true? Yeah, I mean, timing is everything. I mean, most people don't under, don't know that the uh, if you want to get pregnant, the best time to increase your chances of getting pregnant, therefore the best time to have intercourse is in the middle of the cycle. And, and for a person who has 28, 30-day cycles, we always tell people to try, uh, you know, you can use one of those ovulation kits. Uh, usually you want to get one of the more expensive kits, not the dollar store kits or the kits that are inexpensive or the ones you get at Amazon for cheap. Uh, the best thing to do is to use one of the good ones and then, or just intercourse. Day one is the first day of your cycle, which is the first day of bleeding. Then intercourse day 10, 12, 14, and 16 over that time frame increases your chances of getting pregnant. Good to know. Yeah. All right, we're gonna we're gonna uh, kind of change it up a bit. Okay. So here we go. Are there sexual positions that will increase the chances of getting pregnant? That's a very good question, and the answer is no. There aren't. I mean, uh -huh. the, the you, any position is fine, but we would always encourage people to just rest afterwards. Uh, but any position uh, uh, in order to get pregnant is fine. You don't have to stay just in the missionary position and. Uh, and sit down and, and, and sit with your uh, pillow for a period of time. Any position is fine, just resting afterwards. But keep in mind, people get pregnant in their cars. So, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you could say all this, but uh, any position uh, would work. But uh, usually we tell our patients, you know, just to, uh, you know, rest for 10, 15 minutes afterwards because, you know, sperm aren't the smartest things. They are just going all over the place. And uh, what we want people to do is just kind of rest and let the sperm sort of do its thing. So when you say rest, does this mean don't get up immediately to well, go to the bathroom? They, they, can, they can get up because the sperm is going to come out anyway, but the majority of the, but, uh, the, majority of the sperm will come out. Uh, but there's still going to be sperm inside. So I think for people who are actually trying to get pregnant, you know, just laying in bed for uh, uh, 10, 15 minutes may increase your chances of the sperm getting to the right place. You don't have to necessarily have to put your feet up over your head and uh, do any 
uh, contortionist type positions. Uh, you know, just uh, lay down for 10, 15 minutes, and that may that in and of itself may help to increase your chance. You can get up and go to the bathroom, but just go back to the bed and rest for 10, 15 minutes. Good to know. Okay, I we get hit with this question all the time, and that is, what about lubrication yeah. uh, when trying to conceive? If you can, if a woman needs that lubrication, what type of lubrication should she be using or none whatsoever? Well, there are sperm-friendly lubricants, but saliva is a lubricant, and uh, 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 saliva has been shown not to necessarily uh, impede uh, sperm, but uh, uh, but there are, they'd have to look up uh, which uh, lubricants may be more sperm friendly than others. There are a number of them out there. Their Pure Romance has great lubricants. Yes. Uh, but uh, uh, if you're gonna use lubricant, you wanna use the smallest, the least amount, uh, just because even though none, no lubricant is generally a sperm aside, meaning it doesn't kill sperm, but sometimes the sperm can get caught up in some of the uh, little globules that are associated with lubricants. So, uh, you want to make sure you either look for a sperm-friendly lubricant or saliva or uh, just the, the least amount of lubricant if you need to use one. Yeah, I know for our cancer patients and women who are trying to conceive, just like me, has always been a great go-to. Yeah. And But it's good to know so then even the partners out there are will be able to tell their end consumer a small amount. Just a small amount. Yeah. Um, Okay, so when trying to conceive, you know, you you see the movies where they're going, hey, it's time, we gotta go, we gotta right, go. Right. And you know, the eye rolling and oh my God, I don't wanna do this. Right. Um, how do you keep it? I know what I would say right. to keep it from being a task. Right. What's your advice? Well, I mean, it, it is, it is, and you get into that. And sometimes there's always some potential secondary sexual dysfunction so people may end up because you know you're on the clock sometimes and uh, i remember being in in the office and uh, we had a guy in our room our collection room our mail room who had been in there for half an hour he was just having a, an anxiety attack in the room and and uh, we you know gently knocked on the door to to see how he was doing but it was uh, it's it can be very stressful for people to be in that situation um so I, we always try to get people either to try to collect sperm in a environment uh if, if we're trying to do a clinical collection in an environment like at home where they can collect sperm or in a couple's relationships uh we try to tell them to not make it procreational meaning just for fertility try to be as um, sexual with each other as possible and try to make it uh, as non-procreational as possible try to make it as a romantic as possible with the uh, chance of uh, on the other side of that uh, there may there may be a baby and, and psychologically you, you just can't get into the clock situation or else it will potentially cause a secondary male fertility issue or even a secondary female fertility issue they may not be uh, as receptive and who knows how then stress plays into all of those different things uh, in any way, shape, or form as you go through this fertility journey. I mean, my research was in stress and how stress re affects reproductive function. If you increase your stress hormones, that may actually decrease your uh, uh, ability to 
um, uh, produce uh, the right amount of hormones at the right time and kind of shut things down. We know from studies that we've done that people go through midterms or tests at the, the universities. Things just shut down. Cycles are irregular. And and when you when you and some people are, are more stressed out at, than others. So yeah, you can cause the secondary stress state from all this anxiety associated with the yeah. fertility issue and journey that people go through. I just say call pure romance. That's right. Get some fun exactly. type of products exactly. in your bedroom. Exactly. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You you want to keep it as fun as possible, and and having uh, uh, a pure romance product around may actually be more helpful during that. There time. you go. Now you touched on sexual dysfunction. Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. In in, in some cases, uh, when we talk about sexual dysfunction, that either the male's inability to get an erection, and or a male's inability to ejaculate or release sperm, uh, or a female's inability to have a pleasurable sexual experience because of uh, vaginal dryness or just because they they just aren't in the moment and 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 some of those things can go on to not only affect uh, uh, their ability to get pregnant but it potentially can affect uh, their relationship we've seen a number of people whose relationships didn't do as well because of uh, fertility related issues because of the stress of that and and you want to always keep that in mind and sometimes seeing a counselor uh, will help be helpful and, and we strongly encourage that because you know this is not about uh, uh, we, we don't want to allow fertility to ruin a strong relationship and having someone to talk to uh, is going to be very important as part of that you know I, I, I think that's wonderful that you brought mm -hmm. that forward with having a counselor because I think it is about your team right. who is surrounding that couple exactly. and you've got to have a strong great team yeah. to get through this um, and nobody should ever feel ashamed about seeking help in no, that area never. I mean I, I think that in the old days when there weren't as many uh, offerings if you will to help couples get pregnant people just wouldn't talk about it people yeah. just went childless and no one ever asked why and our, our, I mean, having a child should be an important part that every family, any couple, married or unmarried, in a same-sex relationship or not, that should, or a single person who doesn't have a partner, having a child is something that's basic and right. instinctual. And we want to help those people with that journey. Yeah, and there's so many people that feel shame yeah. because they can't conceive right and that should not be the way that should not all. be nope. because you know being able to sit down and talk about this and move together as a couple i i think speaks in volumes yeah um is there anything else that you want to add no I, I think the main thing is that uh, there are a number of good fertility doctors out there and and you know to be honest with you one of the things that we found in studies is that we want to see patients sooner versus later sometimes you know, some gynecologists will hold on to patients longer because of whatever reasons. There's some gynecologists who feel that women of color can get pregnant. They don't need fertility help. And that's not true. Everyone has the same problem. Matter of fact, women of color have a lower fertility rate uh, than uh, uh, women uh, who aren't uh, black or uh, Hispanic or Asian. So see, seeking the advice of a trained fertility expert early versus late is going to be very, very important. And there are a number of good ones uh, out there in your community. All you have to do is go to your 
look it up on uh, uh, the computer uh, to find a trained fertility expert. Thank you so much. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Michael Thomas, for a great conversation. And if you liked what you heard today, please like and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health and our six focus areas, visit thepattybrisbanefoundation.org. Remember, sex care is self-care and sexual health matters. Music